We have capacities for heightened levels of intuition, sharpened perception and learning. We are interconnected as a human family. And I'm on a mission to get us to Human 2.0. Hey, how are you? This is Scott Bryant Comstock, host of The Optimistic Advocate, and this is episode 15. And oh, man, I am so excited about this particular episode because the topic, self-care, integrated health, is near and dear to my heart. Today, we have two amazing guests, Rebecca Pilly, who is the department chair for two graduate programs at Maryland University, a post-baccalaureate certificate in health and wellness coaching, and a master of arts degree in health and wellness coaching. Uh, she's just an amazing individual. Uh, now, the university that Rebecca works at, Maryland University of Integrative Health, is the leading academic institution for integrative health in the United States. Uh, for nearly 40 years, MUIH has educated practitioners in health and wellness through transformative and relationship-centered programs that draw from traditional wisdom and contemporary science. Oh, boy, that's intense. And, and you're going to love Rebecca. Gosh, you're going to love her. And joining Rebecca, if Re Rebecca alone would be amazing, but you get two. Joining Rebecca is Lori Ellington. Uh, Lori uh, Ellington is co-founder and chief executive officer of Zero Point Leadership, which is a leading edge neuroscience-based organization for personal and leadership learning and development. I've known Lori for a number of years. I'm very familiar with her work, and I have to say she is a stellar individual. She, the thing about Lori that impresses me so much is that she talks about self-care uh, in a way that incorporates both Eastern and Western approaches. She is the most science-based proponent of self-care that I think I've ever met which is incredible because even if you're unfamiliar with um, techniques and strategies for calming your mind, or maybe you think that's a little woo-woo, boy, Lori has all the science to back up why meditation, for example, is an incredibly important thing to do. All right, well, let's get started in, with the interview. And, and uh, when we sat down, the first question right out of the gate that I asked uh, both Lori and Rebecca was, I just want to know, why do you do what you do? So here is, uh, we'll start with uh, Rebecca. Here's how she responded to that question. So Rebecca, let me start with this question. Why do you do what you do? I mean, we know that self-care is so important for health professionals, yet it's something we so often overlook. And I see that both you and Lori just doing amazing things. What, what motivates you? Why do you do what you do? Well, um, one is I love health um, and giving people as many options as they can to stay healthy and to be well, uh, to look at the whole person in context of family, community, and society. So the um, university where I am is perfect for that because our focus is on integrative health, which means everything I just said, and also working with our counterparts in conventional medicine so that they too can know that there are other avenues for their patients. 
whether it's physical health, mental health, spiritual health. So I do, I do that. Health and wellness have been interest areas of mine for quite a while. And I also love change and the change process and watching light bulbs go off in people's heads, watching light bulbs go off in my own. <laughs> I just would like to see the world be a better place. Um, it's a good place for many, but not for all. And whether it's improving processes in a workplace or improving health and well-being is one person at a time. So there's a lot of one persons in the world. I could have retired, retired, and I just felt like I had more to give. How about you, Lori? Why do you do what you do? You know, we have an outdated human story that we are living and playing out. And we're in the middle of a really big, awesome paradigm shift. And I want to help be a part of that. The old story is that we are in the, in, like we're in this dog eat dog survival of the fittest world. Take care of yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, survival of the fittest. And, you know, people are really pretty selfish. That is not at all what the science is telling us. What's unfolding is a very different story. We are wired, we come wired in our nervous systems for high levels of care, compassion, mutual aid. We come wired for contribution, for living a life on purpose. But not all of us can access that when we're living this outdated, primal story that we've been told. This is not who we are. And so I get up every morning to create opportunities to radically shift and expand human consciousness. And that's, that drives me every day, even on those days when I'm exhausted. Because I know that we have these heightened capacities for resilience. They're deeply wired into us. We have capacities for heightened levels of intuition, sharpened perception and learning. We are interconnected as a human family. And I'm on a mission to get us to human 2.0 because this is not really, we see who we are, but we're not seeing really who we are as much as who we aren't. And I want to see us elevate to that place where we, we are kind and we are compassionate as a human family with each other. That's when we're going to be our smartest. Since the pandemic hit, I hear from people every week all across the country, you know, who are involved in this mental health space. And, and I, I was just on a call right before this interview uh, with uh, some researchers and uh, where they were talking about the the struggle, the depressing struggle they're having doing research because can't do it the way you've done it before. And what I'm struck with, that's just one example, but I hear from clinicians, I hear from family leaders, the old model, whatever your old model was pre-March, right? Doesn't work. And I'm watching this interesting shift of people fighting to hang on to that old model and feeling very depressed in many cases, not taking care of themselves and just sort of spinning into this, well, I'll just binge watch Breaking Bad for another three weeks and maybe this will be over. And then we can go back. 
I don't think there's any back. I don't think we can go back. There is no going back. It's like the waters parted and we went, we went across to the other side and the water has gone back. There's no back. So what, what I'm seeing in individuals and in organizations and companies, the people who are adapting are going to be fine. And businesses, small businesses that adapt um, and manage to get their product to the customer in different ways than having the customer walk in and buy it, they're doing fine. And so how do we help others adapt more? So I can say that at the university, and, and I'm not speaking on behalf of the university today, but I do feel that we have a very strong and safe space for our students and our faculty and staff. And we talk about these issues. We talk about them in uh, large groups, employee town meetings. We talk one-on-one with students or faculty, whatever the need is. And it's just being more aware of who's around you and how they're doing. So we have this a support system, if you will, which we didn't set out to have one. It just evolved because we needed to do that. Some students are going to barrel through and they're going to be okay. Other students are getting sick with COVID or they're having to take care of family members who are sick. And so for those students, they might need to slow down. They don't need to stop, but don't take as as heavy of a course load or they're going to be late um, because of the forest fires on the other side of the country. So we just don't know. So so this, so the system we have, which I'm very proud of, is nimble. And that's part of the adaptability is, is that nimbleness. So it's kind of the metaphor of being on the airplane and, and the airbag drops. You have to put it on yourself first before you can help other people. So we want people to be able to help themselves and know that it's okay to ask for help and to reach out and for things not to be okay. Things are not okay right now. So acknowledging that and not having to be always looking for the silver lining, sometimes it's just getting through things. And then do you have others that can help you get through things? You know, Rebecca, if, if I'm the kind of person who's always taking care of somebody, whether my partner, my family, I mean, that's my role, right? That's who I am, right? Um, look strong right? Have it together. What do you say to me when that airbag drops? You know, how how do you convince me that I need to take care of myself first? So I think part of it is just tying into previous experiences that you as the stoic individual had. And does the stoicism work against you? Has it worked against you? How did you get through other similar situations where you feel like you need to give to others first, but then found out that at the end of it, you're absolutely wiped out or you get sick. So just talking through the importance of self-care and especially now, and it's okay to be teary-eyed. It's okay to shout or yell just to let some steam out so that you can keep going forward and, and keeping healthy routines. So important for whether it's taking a walk every day or doing a video in your house that, that keeps, keeps your heart, heart going. 
Laurie, I've known you not well, but I've known you for years and years. And I, and when I think of you, I think of this spirit centered, I don't know why, uh, but I, but I do. So I want you to speak to that part. Is there an additional part of my soul that needs to be tapped into that kind of help me navigate all this? Hmm. Mm, such a good question, Scott. And um, you know, thank you for seeing that in me. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I study the science of it, which I don't see as any different than spirituality. Those are one to me. So helping people explore and navigate the path of self-mastery and enlightenment for the modern person. That's another way to think about the work that I do. And when I bring the science to it, it seems to command some attention. When people hear that we can lose up to 25 points of IQ when we're in these heightened states of threat and anxiety, that we are going to live 10, 15 years less of our life that we can't show up and be present. And then the inability, if you can't self-regulate and you can't co-regulate, and that's co-regulation is the foundation of helping other people heal. That's how children heal from trauma. That's how family, that's how people heal is through co-regulation, which is this place of integration. Integration, there's a science of integration in the brain and in the nervous system. It's where subsystems and parts that need to be working together in a harmoniously and synchronous fashion, when they come together and work that way, we heal and we're really intelligent. But when we're not taking care of ourselves, which I also emphasize is an ethical issue when you're a practitioner, when we're not taking care of ourselves, we, it's, it's like trauma for us. More and more disintegration. Of course, we know about vicarious trauma or secondary or whatever you want to call it or what's been misnamed as compassion fatigue, but still that concept, right? The toll that that takes on our ability to contribute to society and our loved ones and our communities and our families. And that I pull on that desire to contribute and help and be a caretaker and show the science. And if we look at the spirituality of it, I also describe my work as really, it's, it's, it's nothing new. I'm not sharing anything new. These are ancient wisdom teachings that have been around for thousands of years. But now we have the, the hard scientific data that backs up why we should be practicing compassion, for example, and what that does to our ability to care for others, even if you only wanted to focus on that other person. There's a scientific reason why. Um, you're not going to be able to do it if there's not some level of self-care. Rebecca, do you do you incorporate a lot of what Lori's talking about into the program that you run? Because you still have to convince, I, that's a strong word to use, but it, and I'm probably projecting, but my sense is that, you know, you have this wider audience of providers who may not be very familiar with integrative health. Right, right. At this point in the in the development of the field of integrative health, we are getting more and more acceptance by conventional medicine. So at some point, there's this realization that human beings are not defined by their illness and that you have to look at the, the whole person, not just what's wrong, 
uh, at that time. So in the our department, which is health and wellness coaching, and we really do look at the whole person. We do really do bring together um, uh, ancient wisdom, what Lori was describing earlier, with contemporary science. So we train people who become experts in facilitating behavior change. They, they are not um, experts in any specific field. They don't tell their clients what to do. They help the client draw from inside of themselves what matters most, what makes meaning to them in the world, and how do you connect that with a change. For our students, when they first come into the program, they will take as one of their first courses something called Becoming a Healing Presence. So we're going to be training coaches who who are going to help people through deep introspection. But in order to do that, the students need to learn how to do that themselves. So we have a first class that is very self-reflective, whether it's online program or face-to-face on campus. As it turns out, it's one of the students' favorite classes because it pushes them. They learn more about themselves. They become comfortable discussing the personal with others in small groups. And they learn how to create a safe space because that's what the instructor does with the class, create a safe space. So that healing presence, part of it is self-care. So part of the piece about self-care is modeling for your client. And it's, it's oftentimes in the conventional medicine, you have practitioners that are not taking care of themselves, and yet they're telling other people how to lower their cholesterol when they're not doing that. So we really want our students to become stewards for this type of integration, uh, whole person integration. And, and the integrity of, of this is important. I'm telling you this, this is important and I am modeling that it is important. So I actually don't have to tell you. You can just look at me. That is so powerful. When students leave your program, what, what kinds of positions do they go into? So it's, it's a really fascinating, diverse student body throughout the entire university. And I will talk to my department, Health and Wellness Coaching. So we have students coming in, in up until about three years or four years ago, they were mid-career and they wanted to make a change. And something happened in their life, some epiphany, some traumatic event that they got through and want to help others get through. They will make a complete change from being an attorney, from being an accountant, from being an engineer. Really? Yep. Yeah. And they, they turn out to be great coaches. Then we also have people coming to us who are already in the healthcare field. They might be uh, social workers, nurses, psychologists, because they want to learn how to work with what we call clients, not patients. They want to work with clients in a different way, not from the expert and matching up what they might test out as uh, some type of DSM condition. They're, They're not looking at here you are, let's go back and figure out how you got there. It's here you are, what do you want? And what will it take to get there going forward? Did something happen when when these people who have made these career life changes, what what causes that switch to flip? So what I do is for every 
uh, candidate that comes in and puts an application forward to be in the program, they write an essay. So I will read uh, hundreds of essays every year. And, and from that, I glean that there are these people that might be in the field already, the helping field already, and, and they, they're making a shift because they want to get out of diagnostic and into a, a different, um, moving from the illness well, model to the wellness model. And then we have other people that have something that just has happened in their life that has just changed them. And it can be a traumatic experience with a, a partner, partner no longer. It can be a near-death experience because their health got so bad. It could be that they've, they're seeing their family members around them having such health difficulties that they don't want to go that way. But they're kind of going that way because that's the habit and routine they've learned from being in that, in that family setting. In the upside down that we're living in, What I see consistently is now more younger people are coming in straight out of undergrad. They have a degree in health science or social science or psychology. They're coming straight into coaching. So I see these people want to make a difference and they write with such passion and such clarity and it's heartening for me. And that's part of something that keeps me charged. Almost every day reads an application. And that's, that's what grounds me is I know there's, there's all these people out there. Every, every race, color, creed, ethnicity is coming through our program and they're all over the world. I have someone that lives in Peru and is going to take our online program. And so it's heartening and it's not just here in the U S it's not just on the East coast or the West coast. It's throughout And I understand that these people coming in are agents of change, that they will go out and make the world a better place. And some people are going to stay in the organization they might be in already and do different things with the skills they learn. So they're they're adding to a skill set. Others are making complete turnaround and hanging out a shingle, setting up their own practice, uh, working together with groups of people, forming company. Like I said, it just keeps me charged when I know that there's so many good people who want to do good for others. And we, and that includes Lori, who's one of our wonderful instructors, that we're helping make that happen by giving back in this way, by giving this knowledge and helping people expand their horizons. It just fills me with joy, especially in this time. And I look at the work you're doing as like a bridge almost you know, for those needing to make that transition. Programs like this that provide what feels like a nurturing, safe way to transition to something different, it's a beautiful thing. Lori, how about you? So you're, you're an instructor at the program. Talk to me about your experience with the students coming in and what you're seeing. What I see, it kind of goes back to that question you asked, Scott, about is there this part of our soul that's that's that we're really wanting to tune into? That's um, uh, that I think has uh, is our primary primary driving force. You know, that gets us out of bed every morning. But we've been kind of disconnected from that. And what I see are these students that they want to connect with that deepest part of who they really are in their highest self, which is unlimited energy and capacity. I mean. 
like a good example is Mother Teresa, (laughs) unlimited energy and capacity to care, right? Doesn't mean she didn't get tired, right? But unlimited. And people are, that's what I'm seeing is that more and more people are, they're starving for it. They realize that the limiting beliefs that we have really kind of downloaded over the years because of this kind of current paradigm that we're in, we're trying to shift out of, is um, not really what things are about. People have the capacities to self-heal. They want to help facilitate that. And if you just became aware of what's happening right now, like really notice, and then try to pay attention to what part of you is aware of that awareness. That's what we're craving. We want that connection to that. And that's what I see the students wanting to tune into. And then how do we harness that energy to connect deeply with other people to help them facilitate their own transformational learning, healing journey? And of course, you know, the science, we might call that self-directed neuroplasticity. <laughs> we rewire our nervous systems, right? There's always a scientific basis. To it, but that's what that means. And that's what, you know, mindfulness practice is all about. How do we actually tune in and get still and connect with something deeper than, you know, just Netflix, for example. And I'm not dogging Netflix, but, you know, that's not, this isn't really who we are. And we're coming out of this, you know, the Enlightenment period where Newton just like threw the mind and the soul away, cut it off the body. And that's how we got this biomedical reductionistic model in healthcare that is collapsing. (laughs) It, It doesn't work because it's not whole. It's not an integrated way, integrated health, it's an integrated way to help people really uh, tune in to the capacities that they have. And um, people are starving for it. Like it's, it's beautiful. to and, and I know you, Rebecca, we learn just as much from them as they do from us. I'm super humble. I'm not, you know, I, I, I might have some expertise, but, I, you know, I hold that beginner's mind too, because there's so much more that to learn. We know this from bias and, you know, there's so much more that we can't see. And how do we tune into novelty and keep that beginner's mind? And they're right there. I take it down to just a basic fundamental level. We're mammals. So as mammals, we, we're interconnected. We're dependent on each other for resources. And um, we have this uh, mammalian caregiving system in us that's always searching and looking for cues of safety and cues of threat. And as long as you can manage those, you can do anything you want anywhere. doesn't matter. And so I focus on psychological safety, which the brain doesn't know the difference between physical and psychological safety. It's, it's, but it, so it's looking for cues for both of those all the time. And as long as you can provide cues of psychological safety and connection and belongingness, which is what we look for as mammals, that's what we're really most interested in, then um, that lights up the learning centers. If people perceive cues of threat or danger, then that shuts down the learning centers. So I'm always focused on how do I increase safety cues, no matter where I am, whether I'm you know, 
on a stage talking to 500 people or I'm, you know, in a class, virtual classroom with 15 people in the classroom. So let me ask you, so I, I don't think I can remember a time when, when it felt like maybe there is, but when it felt like we had this many monumental pressures, what are your tips for navigating this with all of these competing pressures going on? And then tips for your soul, you know, to keep your soul healthy. And maybe I shouldn't be thinking those two ways, but I think of the practical things we do. Maybe I don't binge Breaking Bad on Netflix <laughs> for 27 hours. Maybe I find something else. But then there's the soul care. You know, this is what you guys do. So help us out. Help our listeners out with this. So I think part, part of what can I control and what can I not control? And what you describe, Scott, is it's, it's as if we're, we're living in the everything all at once. And we're seeing a lot of the worst of people. We're also seeing the best of people. But if you watch the news a lot to stay informed, you're more likely to see the worst of people. So what can you control? I control, control not sitting in front of the news or choosing to watch the evening news, which is condensed into like the first 15 minutes. Do I need the blow by blow? And it is addictive to sit in front and I have to know what's going on. What's next? What's next? All of those what next add up because you have no control over any of that, right? Well, you have some control. You can vote. You can write your congressman. But I think part of it is just finding your own center and your family center and what matters most and tuning into that, that what can I control? What could I maybe work with others to make a change, whether it's in a professional setting or uh, in collaboration with people like what Lori and I are doing today? That's important to me to reach out and, and perhaps give people some ideas on how to navigate the world we're living in right now. So what can I can control and what can I influence? And there's so much, you know, we've got climate change, we've got uh, forest fires, we've got big chunks of Antarctica floating off and disrupting the water levels on our shores. So if there's one thing that really sticks out, focus on that area and not the all. Focus on what is really important to you. Is it climate change? Is it racial and social justice? Is, is it healthcare? Those might intersect, but you can't do all of those things. And, and it's, we're not designed to think of all of those things like we're, like we're now thinking about it. So, and Lori, I'm sure has like the neuroscience of the brain and like what is happening to our brains right now. That's a really good takeaway because, you know, the, the conversation around race right now, which is which would be monumental in and of itself. And then you overlay all of these other things on that. And, you know, the competition for what gets discussed, when and, and how thoroughly we dive into it. So, yeah, the picking one is, is great advice. Lori, how about you? You know, Desiree Linden won the... Um I think it was the 2018 Boston Marathon. And um, I think maybe two minutes before she won that marathon, I think she was the first female and I don't know how long or maybe ever to win 
conditions were horrible, raining, cold, awful. And a couple of minutes before she won, she was about to quit. And she's like, I'm going down. It's not my day. My legs are, I'm, my legs are gone. I'm done. But she saw a fellow person that was running in the race with her that was struggling. And she said, let me see what I can, before I check out and roll out of here, let me see what I can do. And she went over there, you know, can I back the win? You know, can, what can I do to help you out? Give you a little speed and all that. So she did that. And she said, lo and behold, she doesn't know what happened. She completely kicked in gear after doing that, got her legs back and blew everybody away and won the race. And she said, today was bigger than me. It was about all of us doing this. This this is about us as a human family. Nobody's alone. We are totally interconnected in this journey. And what she's talking about is purpose. So the first thing I recommend to people is connect to your purpose, why you are here in this earth suit. What's the reason? And remind yourself, as soon as you get up, wake up in the morning, don't pop out of bed. Breathe into your body. Do a check on yourself and remind yourself of that purpose and ask source energy, Gaia, Mother Earth, whatever it is for you to help you live that purpose today. Because we get a neurochemical cocktail when we do that. It's called the happiness trifecta. And we get our legs back when they're going out, when we connect to that. So that's the first thing. And if you don't know what your, what your purpose is, which is actually most people, work with somebody and find out what it is. The next thing I would say is, um, like, we've got to be the eye in the storm. We have a cyclone going on around us. We can't control any of it. We're getting a clear message. As much as you try to control the cyclone in the storm, it just gets worse, right? But there is an eye in the middle of any cyclone, and it's as calm as it can be in there. And we're not going to be there all the time, but you've got to step in. And if you have to schedule it, which is what I recommend, schedule stepping into the eye of the storm so you can come out of this highly primal threat, stress response, cortisol driven space where you can't access the human part of your brain and think through problems. You've got to step out of that and you've got to give your nervous system just a few minutes to be in that eye of the storm. Best way to do that is a meditation practice. And if it sounds daunting for you to sit still on a cushion and do a meditation practice, then for 10 minutes, then you need to do an hour. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, do 60 seconds. Start there. And I've got, I've, I've thousands of people I have taught online since COVID, probably 6,000 people some type of mindfulness or meditation. And many of them are doing it with their children now. Teach your kids, practice with them. You can do moving meditations too. Moving meditations are great. Yoga is one example, but you can even dance and do moving meditations. If we don't learn how to get in the eye in the storm and regulate our nervous systems, it will regulate us. And because of negativity bias, five times more circuitry in our nervous system to see all the bad stuff around us, We are going to be wired for negative, negative, negative. We're always going to be looking and finding it and then seeing it more and more. And that's why it's so important. You don't want to sit for three hours in front of whatever your favorite news station is. You've you've got to manage your emotional diet. 
like not just what you eat, that's another issue, but what you ingest emotionally as well and what your thoughts are. Thoughts become matter. And that's literal. That's not metaphorical. Whatever you're thinking and feeling is becoming a neurochemical cocktail that's going to the cells in your body and telling them how you're doing. And if you're always in the cyclone, then you're, you're always about to die from your nervous system's perspective. So start with one, 60 seconds a day. I'm going to step into the eye of the storm. And breath is one of the best technologies to use for that. And you may have to practice. So purpose and meditation is the lowest hanging fruit. Ah, oh, my cup is full. My cup is full. <laughs> Beautiful. Guys, uh, we're, we're nearing the end. T tell me what. No, let's do it this way. I always change it up. Uh, let's do our Zoom question. And e either one of you can go first or second. Uh, but if you could have a Zoom call with anyone, living, dead, fictional, who would it be and why? I can start, Lori. Go ahead. It would be with Ken Wilbur. <laughs> I, love, I love Ken Wilbur. Nice choice. Yeah. So Ken Wil Wilbur uh, wrote a series of books um, and it's called The Theory of Everything, mm -hmm. which there was a movie by that name, but that's not, that's not it. And he, he was looking at the nature of humanity over a, a long spans of time. And he got to this talking about spiritual and connecting with yourself. Um, his wife died way before her time and he just disconnected from the world and went off for like a couple years and just thought about the world and change and transformation and how there's these waves of change. And we have people that are on the forward edge leading change uh, progress. And then you've got all these other waves that are still kind of like we talked about the paradigm and paradigm shifts. They don't shift all at once. It takes time. It takes generations. And so I have thought to myself many times this year in particular, I wonder what he's thinking about what we're going through now, because it just seems like there's this compression of these kind of, Lori talked about outmoded just like outmoded way of living and thinking. But for some people, that's better than their generations before them was. For other people, it's like, this stuff is from the 50s. Why is it in the 2020? Well, I'm from the 50s, so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in the 50s. But it's, um, it's all of these like change is not, it's not point to point. And I, I love how he looks at the change in, in waves. Uh, and then sometimes you kind of, the wave curls back and it goes back under and then it will come back stronger or certain parts of the wave will just peter out on shore. So that kind of image to me is very powerful because just being in the change field for so many years, that's what I see. I see there's people that, that want to lead change or they're early adopters, and so they just go for it. And then there's people that are either maintainers because we still need people to maintain while things are, are in, in work and in change. And then others who have power in the old way, and they're going to hang on to that power 
and nothing's going to stop them. So that's who I would talk to um, would be Ken Wilbur. That's beautiful. Lori, how about you? You know, I think it, uh, I, I, when you asked that, I originally thought the Buddha, but uh, quickly what came up after that was myself as I'm transitioning out of this journey. So maybe just a few minutes before I leave to ask myself during that transition, during those last few moments, what's the most important thing that I need to direct my attention on for these next X amount of years? Mm. What comes to mind? That's a good coaching question. (laughs) I've been trained as a coach. (laughs) Mm. Um, Yeah, connect... um, connect with myself deeply every day, my highest self, and let that higher part of me drive the decisions that I make and um, act boldly. Uh, Maybe in a nutshell, it would be, um, you might be playing a little small. Go a little bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Go a little bigger. Uh, It's really powerful. That, that that resonates. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh-huh. Thank you both. Oh my goodness gracious. All right. You know, you give people hope just by your presence. You know, we've talked about that. This it's so easy to get caught up in the cycle of noise and to kind of forget that there is such beauty within each of us. You guys walk the walk, but you walk the walk of a beautiful soul. You kind of cut right to the quick of what we need to be focused on, especially now. So I'm very grateful uh, for your presence and thank you guys so much. Thank you very much, Scott, for having us on. Yeah, thank you. Wow, huh? What did I tell you, folks? Was that not an amazing interview? Just two special, special individuals who practice what they preach. Now, uh, you can learn more about the program that Rebecca heads up at the Maryland University and that same program that Lori is an instructor at. You can also learn more about Zero Point Leadership, Lori's organization, lots of great information that's available to you. And think about it. Great opportunity for you get to get involved in some really important online learning at Maryland University to boost your own skills. So there you go. Great interview. I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. This is Scott Bryant Comstock. Sign it off. See ya. We're happy to share whatever we've got.